0: Hey guys, it's Sarah, and welcome to the Life as Experiment podcast, a podcast where I take a heart-centered approach to personal growth and small business development. I focus a lot on um, getting people to take inspired action to live the life that they want to and to achieve all the dreams that they actually want to. And through my work and my podcast and my website and writings, I help all my clients, you know, declutter emotional baggage and to regain their power and confidence in love, in work in friendships, and in life. So, today's topic is um, going to be an interesting one. Or rather, you know, today's topic including um, the, the several topics that are going to come up in the, in the upcoming weeks, I'm going to be touching on our inner critic. Right, so you've probably heard of the word, right, inner critic. Every one of us has an inner critic. Okay, it's that, that negative, annoying voice that just refuses to die in our heads. An inner critic is someone or something on accumulation of different voices and different messages and beliefs that we've had over the years, you know, telling us negative, demeaning, destructive, and incredibly discouraging things, um, you know, uh, to us. And it's because of the inner critic that so many of us actually have a um, you know, or rather, suffer from a lower self esteem. We struggle with our self image and our self worth as well. Um, many of my my clients who you know um experience low bouts of self esteem or struggle a lot with their self worth, actually have incredibly strong inner critics in their heads. And what is interesting is that the inner critics actually not real. It actually isn't a You know, it isn't a real person, but it could actually, you know, um, contain a part of, you know, what someone actually used to say to us in the past. So our inner critic is actually an accumulation of messages from um, people, you know, like teachers and and parents and peers and siblings, you know, and, and things that we actually absorb from the media as well, all the messages and the beliefs you know, and, uh, and you know, everything that people say, we internalize them and, you know, they become a very convulated um, negative tape that, you know, plays, you know, hits over and over again. Um, what the inner critic usually does, you know, besides, you know, trampling on your self-esteem and your self-worth is that it keeps you back. It holds you in the past. It holds you in a very negative cycle that you find very difficult to get out of and, the interesting thing is that the more you allow your inner critic to actually dominate your thoughts in your in your in your mind, um, the more it actually appears it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the more you buy into the inner critic's beliefs, um, the more you actually, you know, kind of activate it. So the inner critic really um actually does play um, you know, a protective role in our minds. Okay, so our minds kind of dredge up all the, you know, the negative stuff because it wants to protect us from failing. It wants to protect us from making mistakes. It wants to protect us from regrets. Um, it wants to protect us from various things. Um, the, the main downside is that, you know, uh, lots of us actually carry around our inner critics and like this really, really, you know, heavy luggage. You know, we carry it around our whole adult lives and we actually suffer the consequences in terms of, you know, we don't... Um, we don't get to do what we want, we don't, you know, um, pursue what we actually want to, we do not um, go after what we want, um, we feel that we are not good enough for anything, we don't try, you know, we don't take on opportunities, we don't take on extra responsibilities because we feel that we are never capable enough. So our inner critic always kind of is there to remind us how, you know, we are not good enough, not pretty enough, not handsome enough, not not enough, basically not enough, right? And, um, yeah, and it does this in, you know, several different ways. But um, the psychology field has identified seven different archetypes. So I'll spend next, um, you know, the next six weeks or so, including this week, um, seven weeks in total, sorry, um, talking about the different archetypes and how it actually appears, you know, in our lives and how we can actually, you know, get rid of it or, you know, at least manage manage it when it actually comes up, okay? So, um, today I will talk about the perfectionist archetype, right? So, the perfectionist archetype is one of the most common inner critic archetypes that exists in all of our heads. I think every single one of you that's listening to this actually has a perfectionist streak in in you. And um, even, even myself, for myself, I actually know that Um, I have a perfectionist uh, problem as well. Um, And, you know, the underlying belief of the the perfectionist is that you're not good enough and that people will only take notice of you if you're perfect, right? And usually, a lot of these things actually um, connected to the perfectionism, you know, starts really young. You may have, you know, grown up with parents who always had very high expectations of you, you know, be it. Um, behavior-wise or with regards to school achievements, um, you probably would have expected, been expected to, you know, bring home like straight A's or, you know, um, 100 marks every single time on every single test. And if you didn't, you know, um, you were made to feel worthless and stupid and not good enough, right? Or you may have had very critical teachers in school. Um, I know I had, I knew I had several in my, you know, in my elementary years, um, which didn't really help you know the way I kind of thought about myself um usually you can you know if you if you kind of think back you know to your past you can probably identify some instances when you were growing up where you were judged for being less than enough right Um, you probably might have heard um, messages or you know people tell you things like oh you know you don't look good enough you can't get out of the house because you're not dressed you know well enough um, you aren't getting straight A's, you know, so the implication is that you're un, you know, worthy of my love as a parent or, you know, getting criticized no matter what you do. So whatever you do, you feel that it's never enough unless it's perfect in another person's eyes. The problem about being a perfectionist is, is that it is never something that we actually develop on our own. Like nobody is born like a perfectionist, um, in general, right? Um, it's usually imposed and, um... know reflected or projected on us as we were growing up because you know we do all these things in our lives and then you know someone comes along and tells us like hey you know this is not good enough according to their criteria so perfectionism has a lot of um people pleasing involved and a lot of you know leaving on other people's terms it's a lot of doing things according to another person's criteria another person's rule book Um, it's doing things that, that make another person happy, right? And another problem about perfectionism is that, you know, you end up putting people on a pedestal, right? Because you're constantly trying to please them. You're constantly trying to meet their criteria. So, you know, you constantly feel like you need to achieve a goal or some level of predetermined success to be liked or considered worthy by these people. It could be a parent, it could be, you know, a friend, um, It could be anybody right so if you think back to you know some of the incidents in your childhood you may have um you know experienced some of the following so the first thing to to kind of reflect on or to think about is you know or worse your experiences with authority and experiences your experiences at school so personally for me, I kind of grew up a very happy child before I actually entered school, um, before I actually started in elementary school. Um, I constantly felt really, really unworthy at school, mostly because of the teachers I had. Um, the school that I was in was like an all-girls school, and they had this habit of, you know, um, classifying people according to their grades and you know classifying people according to how well they performed on tests and um people who performed better were actually uh, given rewards or they were given like you know time off classes or they were you know ha- you know they were um they they were made to do things that were actually more exciting and more fun that you know the other people who didn't score well in um didn't get to do right um and this entire thing went on in um when i was about like 7 to like 10 years old and um you know th- those th- those years are actually are very very sensitive um it's a very sensitive uh, age when when a child is growing up and I remember feeling really, really left out and just very unworthy whenever I saw like, you know, the so-called smarter girls or the, you know, higher scoring girls actually doing things or fun things that the rest of us didn't get to do. And the message that I got was um, only well-behaved students or, you know, smart students or perfect scoring students got to be rewarded. And only the 100 people scoring 100 marks on their tests could do the fun stuff, right? And um I was from a very religious school as well, and um there were teachers who were at least you know two generations older than me. I mean, I was seven, and I had some teachers who were like in their sixties or seventies, so they could actually be my grandma grandparents um and you know the generation the, the the huge generation gap as well as the religiosity about the school no no nothing nothing offensive or nothing against um religions in school. It's just that you know. The generations and how they were brought up in and how they interpreted religion, um, meant that they have very fixed ideas of how girls should behave. You know, girls had to be prim and proper and quiet, and those who behaved in this manner were always rewarded. But when I was younger, you know, I I couldn't really articulate what I felt. I um, I, I was a very boisterous, very um, excitable child. Um, I had a little bit of a temper and um, I was very outspoken and, um, you know, I, very boisterous. So I like to, you know, um, get my friends to go out and play, you know, during lunchtime, during recess. Um, I made a lot of noise um, and I just I had a lot of fun, you know, but um, I always got a sense that my personality didn't really quite fit in. And it wasn't really considered acceptable at school. You know, I, I, I personally don't like following rules as well. Um, this has always been like something like in me. I've never liked following rules, not even now. Um, and, you know, characteristics like that are not seen as nice or good. And they were not seen as worthy in these teachers' eyes. So that actually affected um, how I saw myself. Because I saw myself as, you know, just I was just never going to be accepted um i was just never gonna be um considered worthy you know in my with my teacher in my teacher's eyes right and i the second thing to actually kind of consider as well is you know the culture that you grew up in um our culture has really really big impact on how you perceive your, your worth and if you grew up in a society like myself, you know, where it, it, there's a very narrow definition of success and only those, you know, who had good grades in school, who went to prestigious universities um, and worked in very prestigious industries um, are considered worthy and the rest are actually not. If you grew up in a culture like that, um, you are bound to actually feel very, very unworthy about yourself um, for many, many years, even continuing through adulthood. Right? Um, I came from and another thing about my culture is that you know is over emphasis on education in terms of getting like perfect scores you know kids had to get perfect scores all the time to be considered smart um i really wish my country or my culture would actually move away from this thinking because it's very very toxic and um not only just toxic but it doesn't encourage any form of creativity or critical thinking skills or anything like that okay because i'm not someone that likes um wrote you know memorizing and regurgitation during exams you know i'm someone who is actually very creative um i love the arts which was actually found and still is frowned upon in my society um only people who take you know science and mathematics math, uh, mathematics are actually considered smart um you know if you're an art student you're actually considered stupid because you know you didn't manage to qualify for the science and the math classes Um, yeah, so you know, this, this culture is incredibly toxic. And although you know, there has been, you know, um, actions to try to move away from that, uh, I don't think it has been very successful so far. It's very difficult to change an entire culture's mindset around, you know, what is worthy and what is not. Right? So if you have similar experiences in your childhood, like, you know, the messages they got at school, um, the cultural messages that you're getting or absorbing from your environment, kids are are actually very, very sensitive. Um, So you probably actually have an inkling or, you know, sort of, um, you can remember some stuff, um, things that actually make you feel unworthy as a child. Right. So those are some things to think about. And, you know, coming into adulthood, then you, you face a whole, you know, slew of other situations that the perfectionist just loves to feed on you know and further chip away your self-esteem so you know when we reach adolescence and we get into adulthood we start to focus a lot on our, on our looks you know um it's because you get to puberty you know we start to take in all these you know other messages from our peers uh, about who looks good and who looks oh uh, who doesn't and um you know all these other media messages as well from magazines and from you know entertainment culture, from celebrities. Um, you know, telling you that you need to buy this product to actually look good or you need to buy this product to actually, you know, look, you know, feel worthy, you know, you have to do this and that to actually feel feel better about yourself. So we internalize all these messages and um, yeah, and, and, you know, looks so kind of goes a little bit into, you know, navigating romantic relationships and um, you know, what we think the opposite sex or the same sex or, you know, whoever you're attracted to actually thinks of us in terms of looks. So, this actually you know plays a part in um how we see ourselves you know if if you constantly got messages you're not attractive you um and you value actually you know your looks or you value looking good it's definitely not gonna you know feel really good for you so growing up um i didn't quite like my face out body because i'm of mixed ethnicity and um i do look different from people here Um, and you constantly get very, you know, sometimes very disparaging, very rude remarks about how you look and where you come from and things like that. Um, though I'm a lot more confident about how I look now and don't really care about what people think, it took me a while to actually get to this point, you know, where I just don't give a shit, sorry, I mean, part of my language, uh, about what people think of my face and in my dressing and all that. So your looks, okay, your looks is something that in adulthood, it suddenly becomes really, really important. Okay, and in romantic relationships as well, so let's talk a little bit about this. You know, when you're a perfectionist, um, it may spill over into relationships where you feel like, you know, you don't ever deserve your partner because you don't, uh, maybe you feel like you don't have the perfect look, you don't have the intelligence or the personality trait that your partner is looking for. Um, maybe your partner, you know, likes a certain type of celebrity and you feel that it has certain types of, you know, um, goes for a certain type of style in terms of his or her, you know, um, ex-boyfriends or girlfriends, and you feel like you don't match up. Um, you may sometimes, you know, feel like you're waiting for the perfect partner relationship to come your way, but, you know, it doesn't. And... You know, being a perfectionist, once, you know, you're in a romantic relationship, your inner critic may come up, you know, rear its head and say like, you know, oh, you know, we might start having very high unachievable goals for your partner, you know, if you're constantly unhappy or, you know, you could be a people pleaser, constantly pleasing your partner at the expense of your own happiness and finding that you never match up no matter what and your inner critic constantly telling you that you're not good enough, you know, for your partner, not good enough for this relationship. You're not good enough to be in a relationship, okay? Because um, you're just not pretty enough, you're not kind enough, you're not sexy enough, whatever, right? So that's one way in which the the inner critic, the, the perfectionist comes up for us. Another way it comes up is also in our careers. So, you know, whatever you choose as a, your career, you know, be it running your own business or you know, working at a corporation, working in whatever role that you are, you know, doing right now, you might feel like you're never good enough, you know, just cuz you don't have all the competencies the company is looking for. And um you feel like you don't have what it takes to actually do well in your role. You feel like, you know, especially during the job search. Um this is a topic I actually touched on in another podcast or maybe um, a podcast in future. But um, the perfectionist comes up a lot when you're looking for jobs. So you may pass over jobs where, you know, you look at the JD and it's like, oh my God, you know, it, I, I don't fit like five of these things that they actually listed down here. So I'm not going to apply for it. Um, doesn't look like they are looking for someone like me. So I'm just going to give it a pass. Yes, um, the the perfectionist does really screw with our job search experiences and in interviews as well. You know, you go into an interview and then you are thinking like, oh my god, you know, I I can't answer this. I I kind of answered this wrongly. I came across strangely. I will not get the job. And the problem with this is that you know, um, a lot of inner critic behavior, um. In the context of the perfectionist today, um, a lot of it actually results in a self-fulfilling prophecy. So when you think that you're not good enough, you kind of act subconsciously in ways that actually kind of gives away um, to other people around you that you think that you're not good enough, right? So they start kind of reading or interpreting those subconscious signals that you're giving off and they start thinking that you are not good enough. And you then get the feedback from them because they're treating you a certain way, right? And you then think that, oh yeah, so this confirms my initial belief that I'm not good enough. So that's the problem about the inner critic. And the problem with the, the, the perfectionist archetype is that, you know, it has been expounded and, you know, extended so much in our current culture because of the emphasis on constantly hustling and doing and doing and doing and that if you're not doing anything, you're lazy. You're not doing anything means you're not good enough. Um, and, you know, sometimes to, to kind of, you know, get past this, this problem or this inner critic is to kind of tell yourself, um, you know, good is better than perfect. Really. I mean, um, just taking an example from my career or from my, or from my jobs is that when I started my um, my career, you know, thinking that I always have to give, you know, because I'm a researcher and a writer. So I always thought that I had to give hundred percent perfect drafts, you know, to my boss. And it always came back with a lot of, you know, um, a lot of red marks all over it, a lot of corrections and edits. And I used to feel really, 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 really upset and take it really personally. Whereas nowadays, you know, I just give like my best, like 70, 80%, I just give it to them and they would revise it accordingly and I would, you know, take it back and, um, do my bits again and get revised. So it's not so much of, you know, doing hundred percent right off the bat, but, you know, just doing it good enough because it is going to change, you know, things are going to change. And if, even if you don't do something perfectly, the world is not going to fall apart. Um, you know, and if you don't do something right, like maybe in school you had to follow rules and all that, but, you know, um, I've learned that being perfect actually always kind of handicapped me in a way because I always was kind of waiting around, you know, waiting for myself to be ready for for opportunities and for responsibilities and always, you know, kind of never putting myself out there and keeping myself very, very small because I felt that, well, you know, if I was not perfect, then I didn't deserve this opportunity. I didn't deserve this job. I didn't deserve this guy. I don't deserve this relationship. So you kind of then, you know, have very subconscious beliefs that you actually cannot get what you want because you're never perfect. And that's an incredibly, incredibly sad and very, very wrong belief or message to actually bring around in your life. So if you're struggling with, you know, perfectionist tendencies, you know, kind of think about where in your life you're actually being very perfectionistic about. And, you know, think of the things that actually mentioned. So what went on in your childhood in that area in life that made you think that you are not worthy enough now? What messages, you know, that you are carrying around that have long expired? We carry around lots of rubbish messages from our past that no longer serve us and they are no longer relevant as well. But we still carry them around, you know, and in our heads and we, we constantly remind ourselves that, you know, this is, this is, you know, and just constantly reminding ourselves to feel bad about ourselves. Why do that to yourself, right? You are a unique you know, wonderful, amazing human being, even if you're not perfect, and you're not brought to this earth to be perfect, you are brought here to actually, you know, serve out a certain purpose or certain meaning in your current lifetime, I mean, if you believe in that, um, so yeah, I hope that, you know, um, this entire, you know, episode or this, you know, um, expansion on the perfectionist archetype actually helped you, um, I know I didn't give too many uh, solutions because I feel that, you know, the inner critic is something that you actually have to reflect a lot and to work on. I just suggest that, you know, you think about the messages that you've been carrying around in terms of being perfectionistic. Um, you think about, you know, the sources of where these messages actually come from. And, you know, be more conscious and aware of where you actually um, are being, trying to be a perfectionist. And just tell yourself this mantra, good is better than perfect. So, yeah. So if you have any questions, you know, just just drop me an email or, you know, contact me or message me on any one of my social medias. It's in the message um, notes in the podcast notes for this a particular episode. Uh, if not, then, you know, forward this episode, you know, to a friend who you think is, is suffering from perfectionistic tendencies, you know, and uh, has a has a habit of actually um, being very hard on himself or herself. And yeah, if you if you really like this episode and this podcast, just, you know, do the usual. Rate and review it on anywhere, any platform that you get your podcast, you know, so that more people can actually listen to it. Right, so take care of yourself and I'll be back next week with another Inner Critic Archetype. Take care. See ya.